<laughs> not all of them, but a lot of them, man. Uh, and it's just funny. There's, I need to look up the science behind that. Um, I know there's got to be some, but yeah, it's, it's just like, I don't know. I guess it's just the mindlessness of it. But I, I get a ton of like melody ideas and song ideas in the shower. You know, grab my, grab my phone and hum a little voice memo in it. And uh, that's how we got the five o'clock in the country chorus melody. The intersection of good drinks, good music, and good times. This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. The sun is shining and it's a brand new week here on the Bar Conversations. And we have a great episode for you as we talk with country uh, musician, artist, Jordan Rowe, his latest single, 5 O'Clock in the Country, is rocking right now. And if you haven't heard it, I think you need to. And we have a fun conversation as he was traveling uh, to one of his shows for our tasting notes, this one's a good one as we are getting into those cooler temps. It's the perfect time of year for those barrel-aged beers, and mainly we're talking bourbon barrel-aged beers. As uh, you know, you think of Goose, I- or, yeah, Goose Island, the Bourbon County release uh, locally in Kentucky, where we're at Braxton. Some others do those as well. So a lot of uh, darker, heavier beers. Uh, coming out by heavier, I mean ABV-wise, uh, that you need to be careful for. But like I said, you don't need to be careful about this episode. Lots of fun. Uh, and let's get to it. Did you know Hops and Spirits is more than just this podcast? Check out hopspirits.com for our latest episode release, past episodes, interviews with interesting folks in the alcohol industry, and so much more. Just go to hopspirits.com. Feel free to wait until this podcast is done. We're back again with another Tasting Notes, and joining us once again is Kevin Patterson. He's a Cicerone National Beer Judge. He's also the manager of the Beer Trap Craft Beer Store and Bar in Lexington. Kevin, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on, and I can't wait to talk about some uh, some things coming up in the beer world. Well, you know, this time of year, we're getting very close to some of the big releases you know, the Goose Island, you know, the Bourbon County, things like that. But you see those all over the place, I feel like. Even in the local markets, they kind of do theirs. I know here in Kentucky, Braxton uh, has theirs, uh, others as well. So it's barrel-aged beer season, which is technically all year round. But I feel like a lot of the bigger releases tend to come around this time. They do. Uh, You know, certainly everybody's trying to figure out how to get into the market and provide customers with a flavor that's not current. Um, So, yeah, those beers, the barrel aged beers, the big beers, they're around all year long. But, you know, we still have that uh, the ability to kind of eat and drink with the seasons. And um, so most people, they do prefer those bigger barrel aged flavors. You know, once the weather turns and it sure turned this week, I know we had a little cold snap. We can already have another one. And people start to switch gears a little bit. They start to steer away maybe from the lighter beers of summer and uh, starting into something a little bit more hearty. Well, and and with that comes, you know, like I said, the, these mostly bourbon barrel uh, style aged beers. You'll see them in a lot of stouts. Is that kind of what people are going to see is more of those stouts, darker beers, or will there be some lighter ones as well? I think so. I think there's, uh, first of all, everybody does seem to have the strong affinity for the barrel-aged stouts. When we say barrel-aged, we're implying bourbon barrels here in the bluegrass. It's easy to assume the barrel implies bourbon, but there's other barrels out there too. Uh, Red wine barrels, cognac barrels, port barrels, scotch barrels. All these barrels have been used for other uh, beverages in the past. So brewers sometimes try to get their hands on some of those barrels to give their beer a little bit of uniqueness, give them a little bit of identity that maybe is hard to capture in another way. 
I know um, in the last 10 years, what we've seen when it comes to the barrel age trend is, uh, well, I remember whenever I used to go on bourbon tours and I'd ask about barrels, I said, oh yeah, just come to the uh, distillery, pick one up. They're about 50, 60 bucks, no big deal. And then you give one to your aunt, she would use it as a plant or you give some, one to someone else, they chop it up and smoke uh, their meats with it and the, the, and the smoker. Um, but now those days are long gone. Now there's a thing called the barrel broker. And so barrel brokers, their job is to number one, keep the distilleries from being inundated with brewers who want to use those barrels. Uh, as soon as Goose Island came out with their uh, Bourbon County Stout, um, everybody wanted to do that. And now there's 9,000 breweries in America and all 9,000 uh, breweries want barrels. So what these barrel brokers have done is they've collected all these barrels so that the distiller only has to deal with one individual or, or one small company. They come and get these barrels out of the way and they sell them to other brewers. And uh, that's created this middle market or a middleman uh, for the barrel industry. And it's kind of good for the distiller because they don't have to fuss with so much of the individual customers. Um, but the bad news is, you know, us as individuals like beer drinkers that kind of want the planters, we want to put those things in air pellet smokers. Um, we don't have access to that, that much anymore. So what's happened is we get all these barrels kind of collected into like a big batch. And sometimes even the barrel broker doesn't know uh, where the barrels came from or what, you know, what kind of aging techniques that that barrel went under. All they know is a barrel that once had bourbon. So they sell a lot of these uh, to the brewers. And so the brewers, then I'll just call that bourbon barrel aged beer. Um, but what brewers, I think, would really like to do is single source barrels and say, this is an Elijah Craig, this is a Pappy beer. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of a struggle for those breweries to kind of fight back and create individual relationships with distillers, hoping they can get single source barrels so they can make their beer even more unique. Well, and I was going to ask you about that, and that's the perfect segue. It's like we practice practice this beforehand because you saw a little bit of that last year obviously uh, the goose island they were very specific with who they were able to work with i think four roses in brooklyn uh did some things braxton and some of the local ones in kentucky had a few different ones it seems to me like that is the next phase of this where you do know where that is and i feel like that is obviously you said it's the goal but it seems to be beginning to happen now yeah just like in the Summer, we talked about how it was popular to put the name Citra on an IPA, and it was a selling point. Well, the same thing happens with these beers. So if you can put uh, Four Roses on a bottle of beer, Four Roses barrel, then all of a sudden it becomes a huge marketing opportunity for that brewer. Because, uh, you know, bourbon, even though us here in the bluegrass, you know, we, we understand the bourbon uh, power. Um it's catching on everywhere. So you see those names, those brand names. They're so loyal. Um that people really do want those, you know, if they, even if they're not necessarily a, a beer drinker, if they see four roses on a beer label, they're going to buy the beer. Well, and it's a perfect way to possibly get some of those uh, bourbon drinkers to to take that step into the beer world a little more often than they do. And and for those that are, are curious about what a barrel aged beer might taste like, what can they expect? Obviously higher ABV, uh, but also there's some unique flavors that that beer will pick up from those barrels. Yeah, we'll take the style, for instance, the normal stouts and the types of stouts that we're going to put into barrels are usually stronger um, imperial stouts uh, with a little bit more body, a little bit more heft, more sweetness, more roast and more alcohol that can handle the aging uh, that goes on inside these barrels. Because once the beer is complete, that's whenever it enters the barrel and the alcohol inside of the beer is actually going to act as a solvent and start to pull out some of the other flavors, some of those 
more finesse oriented oils um, and some of these other like coconut nuances, caramel nuances, toffee. Sometimes these, um, like the alcohol can sometimes taste like cherry. Uh, so you get a lot of those really neat kind of caramelized, savory, but also strongly fortified alcohol wise flavors. Uh, that's hard to achieve any other way. It just takes age on a kind of wood that's already soaked in all that bourbon. So what you get is these nuanced flavors of bourbon. So I tell folks, if you like the uh, flavor of bourbon without the burn of a bourbon, then sometimes even a strong beer will help you get there. Well, and uh, the, the last thing I have on, on this too is they're going to probably expect the price to be up a little higher than they might normally be. And some of that is because they will sit in those barrels for three three months, six months, some even longer a year, which that is taking up valuable space in, in a brewery, which I'm sure it all involved gets to that cost. Yes, absolutely. Just like the distiller has a rickhouse where he stores his uh, bourbons. Well, the brewery needs some time to do that too. And it's a space to do that too. So they're going to put that beer in that barrel and it doesn't come out the next day. It takes a long time sometimes. I know some of the more prized you know, bourbon barrel aged beers will stay in there for a year or longer. Um, however, some is kind of some have kind of learned to trim that up a little bit and uh, get a lot of this same kind of flavors through other techniques um, to kind of infuse those flavors into the beer without spending an entire year. But that's all resources. That's manpower. That's electricity. That's ability and facility, and that's time. And whenever you decant those barrels, it's no guarantee that every barrel is going to have the amount of liquid in it that you anticipate, or the character of the liquid is going to be in the kind of condition that you expect it to be. So there's some retainage you got to expect from that. And so every time that a drop doesn't go into a bottle, that drop has to be paid for somewhere, somehow. And it usually transfers to the consumer. That's the reason why your barrel-aged beers will cost a little more. Well, but they are very tasty. I always enjoy them and I look forward to this time of, time of year. And I can't wait to see what we talk about kind of here over the next few months because we're getting into that winter season and there are some unique things that are, are going to happen. And Kevin, I appreciate it as always. Thank you, Jonathan. It's my pleasure. Check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here on the Bar Conversations, he's a country artist, songwriter, and he's traveling as we talk. He's a multitasker if there ever was one. Welcome in, Jordan Rowe. I appreciate you having me, Jonathan. We are excited, and we are uh, we are on the way up to Green Bay right now. We've got Green Bay, Iowa City, and Springfield, Missouri. Uh, this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So today is just a travel day for us. So we uh, <laughs> we got about three and a half hours left. <laughs> well, hopefully, I'll entertain you for at least a little a little while, and uh, you make the trip a little little shorter. Now, since you're in a car, I'm guessing you're not going to be breaking any rules, having anything, you know, a little harder to drink, so to speak. But if you could have a drink, what's what's one of your favorite go tos? Man, you know, good old Miller Lite. That's my that's my go to. That's my go-to right there. Nothing wrong with that. That's what I grew up on. That's that, that's my my one of my favorite ones. Now, do you drink anything harder than a Miller Lite, or is it? Yeah, let's just behave ourselves and be smart. Yeah, I try. To, I just try to behave myself, be smart most of the time. But uh, <laughs> I like to have a couple Miller Lights out there on the golf course or the you know hunting camp, whatnot. I like it. I like it. That makes sense to me. I, I, I enjoy the same as well. Tonight, though, I want a little stronger, a little Rossville Union. Uh, there you go. A little, little rye whiskey. I am, I am in Kentucky, so uh, 
you know, there's a lot of great bourbon around me right now. Well, and too, if you like beer, there's some good barrel-aged beer around you as well. Uh, you know, you get a little Lexington Brewing Company, a little barrel-aged uh, ale. That ain't, that ain't half bad. There you go. <laughs> now, I know you're a smart guy, but is it true that you were vowed Victorian in high school? <laughs> yeah, that is true. How would you find that one out? I have my ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, that is man. That was uh, that was like my eighteen-year-old feet right there. That was it. Now, how did you really find out? I'm I'm curious. I it, you either you put it on in an old interview or something. It was something like two things you don't know about me: valedictorian, okay, and yeah, then yeah. and then I think yeah. uh, a little bit of uh, taekwondo, maybe or something like that. Am I am yeah. I in the right ballpark on that? Yeah, man. I did I did taekwondo from. I was younger. This was like before high school, but yeah, I was I was big in taekwondo into that when I was young. Uh, it was taekwondo and baseball was all I did growing up. So, um, but yeah, we used to go. That was the first time I traveled all over the country was for taekwondo tournaments. A lot of the places I'm going back to play music in now, you know, I had been there before for a taekwondo tournament. Did that whole thing. So it's been fun. I was going to say, and I'm sure it's a little bit different experience in those towns now compared to then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was like 10 years old uh, with my mom, dad, and grandparents when we were there, you know, just did a little spar match, you know. Now, now, what got you into that? I mean, was it, were you watching like Karate Kid growing up and that's what you wanted to do, or did, did you just have a love for, for the martial arts? Man, um, I want to say, I mean, yeah, I did watch that stuff growing up, but uh, the guy who owned the martial arts studio in my hometown, um, he did, he like came to our church and stuff like that and did some like youth group lock-ins and spoke at that kind of thing and um, and told us about the academy, the martial arts academy there. And I just really liked him. And um, I'm, I'm a super like goal-driven person. And he was like, if you want to learn how to be a goal-driven person and, uh, you know, actually write something down and go after it, you know, come try this out. So I, I remember being like eight or nine and writing down in a notebook at a, at a youth lock-in at church, you know, that I want to be a black belt. And another goal I wrote was I want to be a state champion in Taekwondo. And I had no idea what Taekwondo even meant. But I was like, that sounds cool. And so, like, for the next several years, you know, I chased that and and did it. Um, and so, like, that was, I guess, the start of um, being a goal-driven person was that right there. But, but Taekwondo, it does teach you a lot about, you know, respect and self-discipline. And, and um, you know, it was, I definitely think it had a lot of positive effects. So I would encourage anybody out there, go try it. It'll keep you flexible, too, because uh, definitely am not now. <laughs> maybe I need to go back to that because I'm things are popping when I move now and it's not a good sign it's not not a good sign at all <laughs> oh yeah. yeah I had a deep tissue massage yesterday and I feel like I got hit by a bus this morning it was rough <laughs> and now you're sitting in a car for how many and hours now or a van <laughs> and now I'm sitting in a car for eight hours today yep so it'll be perfect no no, no issues now you know, you talk about being goal driven I mean did you 
was music ever one of those goals early on, or when did music kind of become part of the goals? I would say it was a little later on. Um, I, I was always involved in music, uh, but most of that was playing and singing in church, and then you know local talent shows and that kind of thing. And then you know I did high school choir, and then got into college. And it wasn't really until I was in college that you know I kind of you know looked in the mirror and was like okay I actually think I can go after this and I started to play actual shows while I was in college and you know meeting some people in Nashville and kind of getting a feel for how it all actually worked but rather than it just being this like way out there dream you know it was kind of becoming more closer and it was kind of you know it was looking more like it could become a reality and I started to see I started to see the avenues uh, to pursue that and how you did that. Uh, so yeah, I'd probably say around June, probably sophomore year of college for me was kind of that moment. But um, you know, when I actually was like, yeah, I think this, you know, that I'm going to try to do this for sure. Now, if there was ever a moment, you know, it's more of a gradual thing for me. But if there was ever a moment of like, hey, I, I want to do that the rest of my life. Though it was, you know, if there's any way possible, it was probably when I was like 15, um, maybe a little older, at a Luke Bryan farm farm tour show uh, in my hometown. He came there, and it was uh, Chris Jansen, first of three, Sam Hunt, direct support, and then Luke. I remember like this yesterday. I was like my first big concert, um, and I was like, man, I, I would love to do that right there. So. Well, and, you know, for, for you, you were going to school in, at the University of Georgia and traveling up to Nashville, right? Like, doing that for a good little bit. I mean, what was that like? It was fun, um, and that was the whole point of that for me was just to try to have as much of a, you know, of a foothold on the town before I moved there. And so the first time I went to Nashville uh, for any extended period of time was in the summer of 2018. And... I had met Ray Fulcher uh, earlier that year, and for anybody listening that doesn't know Ray Fulcher, he's an artist in his own right. Um, he's got his uh, a new record deal now, and just now is getting on the radio. But before this, even back then in 2018, he was writing hits for Luke Combs. He was when it rains, of course, his first number one, and he was writing those songs. He went to UGA as well. Uh, back in the day he's a lot older he's an old man so i hope he hears this but uh <laughs> but uh, i met him at a georgia theater at a show and we became buddies and uh i needed an internship for uh for a class credit that summer this was summer before my senior year and i didn't want to do just any regular old internship because i knew i was moving to nashville so i wanted you know if i was doing it i wanted to wanted it to count you know and so um I asked a publishing company up there if there was any way I could, you know, they could create an internship position for me where I could come to Nashville and start writing. And so they did. And basically that turned into me, uh, you know, just I was really doing nothing more than certain, uh, or excuse me, sorting an artist merch and then taking out the trash on Wednesdays. And the other, you know, the whole other time, I mean, four or five days a week, I was writing songs and I had called Ray up and was like, hey, I've got this internship. Um, 
you have like a spare bedroom or a couch I can crash on. He's like, yeah, come on. <laughs> and so, uh, so I live with him in in the little guest bed for uh, for that whole summer. And I remember it was during it was during my stay there that summer that he got the news. Um, you know that, that when it rains it pours was working great at radio and that was his first big single as a songwriter and I remember him like we were, we were in this little small rental house up in Hendersonville north of town I remember him running in and waking me up one morning and he was all excited he had just gotten his first check from from when it rains it pours and he said I'm going to get my phone fixed <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah that was my it's the little things in it's life little things man but, but so that was you know that whole summer I was learning and and uh, you know, I, I really was spoiled because I jumped right in there. The first summer I was there, I was writing with him and guys yeah, like Cole Taylor, Thomas Archer. Um, you know, just guy. You know, I had a good like Georgia foundation that was these hit songwriters, and they were so nice to uh, you know reach down and kind of pull me up and, and take me in and, and, and welcome me in um, and take a chance on me. And so I did that that whole summer, and then went back and finished up my senior year of school and then uh and then i moved up there as soon as i graduated in 2019. well i was gonna say i mean you you went to school you got your degree correct and a little bit of business a little agribusiness a little agriculture you know down there i mean that was that just back up just in case something went wrong or or did you did you just want to make sure you you got that degree before you went to nashville man kind i mean kind of all the above um you know, it was, I, I hate starting something and not finishing it. Um, and so, you know, I was like, I'm this far along, I want to finish it. I was having a great time at school. I loved that experience and, and um, I didn't want to cut that short. Uh, sometimes I wish I'd have, you know, flunked a couple classes so I could stay there longer, but um, <laughs> Athens is a fun town. But, uh, but yeah, man, that, and then also, yeah, that was, you know, just because who knows what could happen. I was like, you know, at least I'll have this in my pocket if I ever need it. Um, and so, you know, I just ended up made, you know, definitely uh, helped help my calls with the parents too. So it uh, it worked out. But yeah, we finished up there spring of nineteen with ag business, ag econ, and music business. So that was another reason too, is I was doing music business. So I kind of learned all that stuff before I moved up too. I was gonna say that's a smart smart on you because it's a crazy industry when you, you get into it. But you know, I know you grew up in a, a small town in Georgia, too. You know, what what was it like growing up there, and what impact did that have on you as you're as you look back on it all? Man, uh, I miss it. I miss it more and more. But uh, I mean, it was just like the hallmark town. I mean, it's just a small little farming town in South Georgia, and it was like you know, we just got a Walmart. You know, a few years ago, that was like the biggest news <laughs> in a decade, right? So, uh, I mean, it was you made your own fun. Um, we didn't have a movie theater in our town. We, you had to drive 30 minutes for the the closest kind of amenity, if you would. Um, and so, we just did a lot of, you know, just like it is in the songs, right? Dirt roads, hunting, fishing, fires at friends' houses. You know, hanging out in people's barns. I mean, you you entertained yourself, and, and uh, you know, everybody knew everybody. It's, it comes with all those pros and cons of that and uh but i love it um you know and it was cool man it was it was a great place to grow up and uh so you know i find myself singing about those kind of places a lot now 
Well, and I, we'll, we'll talk about some of, some of those songs, but even before I want to get into that, because you mentioned it's a farming community. You know, Georgia is known for you know the South and, and everything for being home to a lot of farms. You got the Support Local Farmers Initiative mm-hmm. with your merchandise, raising scholarship um, funds for students pursuing an education in agricultural. Why is that? Why was that something you wanted to do kind of so early and right away? Um, man, like I say, I, you know, I had went to school for that, grew up around it. Uh, my dad's a police officer. My mom works uh, with the city, but all of my best friends and my cousins and, um, you know, I grew up around farming my whole life. And when I was um, like high school jobs and that kind of thing, I was working in it. And so I always had appreciate uh, appreciation for it. And like I say, went to college for it and was in the agri- agriculture fraternity. And I knew when I was... Uh, moving up to Nashville, I wanted to kind of marry those two ideas together of, of farming and music, and I was looking for a way to do that for a while. Um, and I actually uh, just support local farmers was a was a why not lifestyle hat, and I just wore it because I loved it. And um, and I was wearing it in a few videos, and people started commenting like, "Where'd you get that hat from?" And uh, so I reached out to why not to see if they would give me a few to give away because a lot of people are asking about this hat. And they said, well, we actually discontinued it, um, but if you want to do something with it, you can just use that design. I was like, okay, awesome. So uh, that was you know, kind of how it started for me. And so we came up with the idea to use it as our merch. Um, and then like a portion of all those proceeds are going to a scholarship that's going to help a student. Um, go to college who wants to get an agriculture degree and i think we're going to be able to give out the first scholarships this coming spring so it's going to be fun man it's going to be excited people seem to love the, the idea and really support it at shows uh, i was gonna say i mean it's got to be cool i mean you grew up in a small town i mean you you know and with everyone else there's got to be other people that have grown up in small towns too that get to see that and just want to, you know, share in that support that you're doing and, you know, sharing those experiences that you've had. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, man. It's, I get, I talk to a lot of people at the meet and greets and the merch tables um, at the shows that, you know, come up and get some of that stuff and, and always tell me, you know, my dad's a farmer or we're farmers and my grandpa was, my best friend is, and, you know, it's, it's fun conversations to have of, of what they grow and and uh, what generation they are of it. You know, a lot of people are like seventh or eighth generation. It's crazy, man. Um, but it's, it's fun, fun conversation to have for sure. Well, and, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, you, you've, you've loved music. Obviously, you're going to look Brian and things like that. It's kind of maybe when all this, you know, kicked into gear for you. What were some of your influences growing up or, or who are some of your musical influences? Oh, man, like I say Luke Bryan was um, Alan Jackson and Eric Church. Uh, I love their style of songwriting. And then, uh, you know, Luke Bryan, he was, some people laugh at that. Like, how'd you grow up on Luke Bryan? I'm like, I'm only 25. Come on now. But when he was hit, <laughs> when he was kind of hitting at radio was when I was nine, 10 years old. So, uh, you know, his early stuff. Were you, were you shaking it? Were you shaking it for everybody? Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, but even even the songs before that was what hooked me we rode in trucks which died in the 30s which should have been a massive hit um you know that was like our life uh right there in a nutshell and so everybody in south georgia loved that song and 
and that whole those whole first couple records man were some of my favorite i wore the things out um so his early stuff was a huge huge influence on me and still is um and then like i say alan jackson eric church that'd probably be my top three that's not a bad top three at all i mean when, when you really think about it and and two like you said you you grew up in a small town you were literally going down dirt roads you were going to bonfires hanging out at people's houses i mean i mean I didn't grow up going down dirt roads, but I remember pretty much all the all the other stuff, even in the small town yeah. in West Virginia I grew up in. So, like, I, I totally yeah. get that. And, and like, is that truthfully where some of your ideas and, and stuff comes from for songs is just reliving and telling those those stories of, of the fun you guys had? Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Um, all the time, you know, when I'm trying to think of lyrics, you know, when, when we're in the writing room, I just picture stuff from back home that we've done and we've said the funny thing to me is all of the the sayings and stuff you know that i grew up knowing that i'll say them in the right room and people are like what are you talking about you know and i was like <laughs> just the you know things that make all the sense in the world to me that people have no idea what you just said you know it's, that's what's funny to me but, but yeah i put some of those in songs too and uh yeah i definitely draw a lot of inspiration from that well, and you know, you, you worked as a songwriter, like you said before. You kind of even took off as kind of an, an artist. What's it like working with others and writing with others, or for others, or even for yourself? Like when you get in those rooms, you know, and everyone's kind of bringing in different perspective and, and ideas. It's really fun. That it's just as much fun to me as as anything artist wise. Um, when you get to go in and you write a good song and you have that feeling of you know, we might have did something special today, and, and uh, you know, I don't get to do a whole lot of artist rights, um, for just for the sole fact of, you know, trying to be an artist myself. Um, you know, they try to keep me just with two strictly writers most of the time, but I have gotten to write with a few artists like Lee Bryce, for example. That was really fun, and Lee's a great writer in his own right. Um, and when I do get those opportunities, it's really fun to try to be a chameleon in the room and kind of adapt to whoever you're writing for um and put your put your head in their in their style and their sound and try to you know adapt to that um and i enjoy that it, you know it's a good break from the norm and um that's always fun to me is you know whether it's going into an artist that's you know super super country or even like you know if you get put in a more poppy room and, and try to you know uh come up with those kind of melodies and too it's refreshing it's fun um but yeah being being a songwriter is, is something that means the world to me is, is just as much as being an artist and, um you know i'm still i've gotten a couple cuts of like smaller um unsigned artists but still fighting for that that first major cut so there's knock on wood there's supposedly maybe one coming but we'll see um so i'm still yeah. fighting for that but uh, we're just chopping away, man. It's fun. Well, and, and I gotta ask, do all your good ideas come in the shower? I heard that's where your good ideas come from. <laughs> Not all of them, but a lot of them, man. Uh, and it's just <laughs> funny. There's, I need to look up the science behind that. Um, I know there's gotta be some, but yeah, it's, it's just like, I don't know. I guess it's just the mindlessness of it. But I, I get a ton of like melody ideas and song ideas in the shower. You know, grab my grab my phone and hum a little voice memo in it, and uh, that's how we got the five o'clock in the country chorus melody. 
it was just like just started humming that in the shower one morning and i was like that's a pretty cool melody and i'm just singing my phone that's it but yeah i mean in the shower or uh riding around is where i get a lot of a lot of my song ideas or either taking a trip home or something like that you know that that's that's what's crazy is like you can go you know a couple months in nashville and not hardly have any new song ideas and you go go home for one weekend and i'll come back with half a dozen you know it's crazy um but just getting your getting your eyes and your your head somewhere else is makes all the difference I just love, I feel like a lot of good ideas come come to people in the shower or right before bed. Like when they're trying to fall asleep, then they think of the greatest oh, idea yeah. and you've just got, got to write it down or you never will go back, go to sleep. <laughs> 100%. I can't tell you how many, how many songs that I've dreamed. Uh, and I've, I've asked this same thing to a bunch of other writers and they all have the same experiences, but... You know, you'll be like in a dream and you'll dream a whole song that's, you know, an original song that's great, better than anything you've written that whole week. And then you wake up and can't remember it. And it is the most frustrating thing in the world. And so I've got, you know, I've gotten a little better at it, you know, trying to, because you know how sometimes you'll be dreaming, but you can like, you're thinking in your dream, like, you know, you're dreaming sometimes, if that makes sense. So I'm, I've gotten mm-hmm. a little better yep. at that and being able to wake myself up and write some of it down or hum some of it in my phone. But, but uh, it is, it's wild, um, wildly frustrating when that happens. But that's how Alan Jackson wrote, uh, Where Were You in the World? Stop Turning. He got that idea and a dream uh, for what I was told and just leaned over, wrote it down on a notepad beside his bed, like everything at once. Well, and you, you can't miss those opportunities. You got you, you got to get them right written down. Maybe, maybe someone will invent some technology that'll let us, uh, you know, know what's going on in our dreams and uh, record those <laughs> to help yeah. out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned your new single, Five O'clock in the Country." I, I I love it. It's fun, and you mentioned you you recorded the melody. I think I read somewhere where like you brought that idea, and they were like, "Oh, that's the melody." I thought that was like the first part of the song so like explain explain just the song in general and just how much fun you had with it yeah so that so like i said i got that it was the chorus melody that i got in the shower and then i was writing it with hunter phelps and, and driver williams and uh if you're listening driver williams is uh the co-writer on drink a little drink smoke a little smoke but he's also been eric church's guitar guard excuse me guitar player lead guitar player for years and years, um, super talented musician. And then Hunter, uh, Hunter Phelps, he's, um, you know, just killing it right right now. He just got a triple play, which means he got three number ones as a songwriter in the same year. I mean, he's just crushing it. Um, and we wrote that song like a year ago, probably. Um, and so I was lucky to get in the room with those two guys. And, um, and I came in and I said, you know, here's what I've got, this idea, and I kind of had it wasn't the exact lyrics we ended up with, but you know, kind of most of them. And I hummed that, and I remember Hunter going, "Oh man, sweet, we already got a whole first verse." And I was like, "No, that's the chorus." And uh, and he was like, "Okay, uh, let's have fun with this." And so you know, it was just because it just sounds so much different uh, than most things right now. And, and uh, so we had a good time writing it. And Driver came up with a little, uh, you know, the intro. 
uh, signature lick on guitar, and he started playing that, and uh, you know, it was fun, man. It's, it's a song that's got all kinds of genre influences from bluegrass to gospel to rock. Well, I, I was going to ask, you know, you mentioned that you have it for a year. You know, you you wrote it a year ago, and you just released it. How do you know to sit on a song, maybe, so to speak, or, or pull it out at a certain point? Like, how does that work for you? Man, is is there ever a right time? I don't even <laughs> well, that's know. Well, that's fair. If you figure that out, you let me know. But, um, but no, man, it just there's so many variables uh, that go into when to release a song um, that you get in your head about. Some of them, I think, matter. I, some of them, I wonder if they do. Uh yeah, I mean, for example, for example, they, you know, they as being, you know, the all-knowing, uh, suggest not putting out a song after the first part of November because, you know, it historically it'll get lost in the Christmas music shuffle and, you know, everybody in town kind of checks out after Thanksgiving and it's like, you know, a song really historically doesn't do well if it's released right before Christmas. Um, but there's a gazillion other examples of that kind of thing that goes in your head when you talk about releasing a song and you try to time it around maybe a tour or, you know, maybe, you know, whatever else random opportunity you have or, um, or kind of what you'd put out before it and, you know, try to keep that momentum going. There's so many things to go into it. Um, and honestly, five o'clock in the country, I had planned on putting it out like April or May of this year. And then just one thing led to another and it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. Um, and then ended up ultimately coming out July 29th. But yeah, that's almost supposed to come out way earlier. Um, and, and two, you know, the, the way people consume music has changed so much recently. Um, they, they consume it so much faster than they used to. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's like, you know, for example, Wallen put out a double album. I mean, that's just so many songs and people are already over that want something new, you know. Um, so the, the way you release music is definitely changing and we're trying to figure that out and adapt to it. And to me, I think one of the best ways to release music right now is one song at a time you know, um, consistently. And so I think, um, I think starting in, in the beginning of next year, that's, that might, as of right now, is looking like my game plan is to consistently put out singles. Um, because I, I'll be the first to tell you, we, I, we waited way too long to put out music after that first album came out, that first project, eight songs. Um, man, if I could have those, those months back, go back and put something out and follow that and then follow that and follow that um so i think next year you know i would love to have a song out every eight weeks or so um seven or eight weeks would be awesome just to try to keep that momentum moving i was gonna say it's crazy when you say something like that because I want to say it was maybe three, four years ago, and I still think it's true to this day. They said if you woke up at a music exec from the 1950s, they would know what's going on. They, they'd they be perfect for nowadays because it was singles back then. It was just, there weren't albums. It was just a single and a vinyl, and that that was it. And and like you said, everything's different. And, you know, when, when you're trying to figure out 
what to put out, how to put things out. Obviously, you put out an album in in two thousand uh, in twenty twenty one. Bad case of of the good old boy. You know, how do you balance putting out an album and putting out singles and trying to find that momentum and keep it going? It's man, it's a moving target, um, and I don't and and truthfully, nobody knows the answer. Um, you know, and different things work for different people. Um, some some people's fans love the whole record project. Some people's fans do better with consistent singles. Um, I think every artist has to find what works for he or she, and um, you know I'm still working to figure that out. Um, but like I said, I think I think the move for me is going to be to do consistent singles. Uh, at least right now, it's the way it's looking. Um, until unless something else changes, but as of right now, I think that's the way to go. That's the way to go because people people lose interest so fast. Man, our attention spans are so short. Um, now as people I mean and so it's just on to the next thing on to the next thing so it's like like you say if you put out if you, if you go record 10 songs I think you get a lot more mileage out of um, you know being able to focus on each song individually and bring attention to it rather than you know working um, promotion for the, the whole album itself dropping it out on a single day and everybody forgetting about it more and more from then on. Well, now, but I will say, you put out a really good album. Uh, I, I don't want you to downplay the album. You put out a really <laughs> good album. What was that. it like working with... with what, what was it like? I mean, for, for a debut album, let me run down... At least, I don't think I have everyone listed, but Lainey Wilson, Tracy Lawrence, Eddie Montgomery, Red Atkins. How did, how did you pull that off? How did, how did, on the debut album, how do you pull that off? Man that was it was fun it was it was a lot of help from a lot of people and um so laney the laney thing happened laney was that was one of my first friends in town i met her like 2017 or 18 um so i was already friends with her same thing with ashlyn um and then and also i knew i missed somebody i knew ashlyn yeah, Kraft, Ashlyn, yeah. Yep. We were, you know we were all kind of running the same circle uh since i moved to town and then uh Red, I knew him. I had written with him, I think, once uh, before we recorded that song. And then he invited me out, and I went hunting, uh, deer hunting with him one time. And so I knew him. Uh, but And so I just called him up and asked him. And he was down. And he was the first person I asked to feature on 10 And then uh, Tracy and Eddie, I didn't know them. Uh, Tracy was the next ask. And... We reached out to his manager and didn't hear anything back and tried to reach out again and hear anything back. And I was, you know, no is the beginning of a conversation with me. I'm like, no, like, I, I mean, I, I'm going to get it to him. Because I, I didn't think at that point that he had even heard the song. And I, I knew, I knew Tracy enough, or like, thought I did at least, that if he heard the song and knew Rhett was going to do it, that he would like the song. And so I was like, I gotta know that he's heard it. You know, if he hears it and he says no, fine. But I don't want just somebody on his team to say no for him. So my producer, Derek Wells, uh, is good friends with Tracy's producer, and Tracy's producer actually mixed the demo for Ten Four, Joy and King, and uh, and I got Derek 
to get Julian to play it for Tracy and see if he liked it. So Tracy's producer uh, played it for him and he did like it and agreed to do it. And so, you know, that was just me going out on a hunch and, and th uh, you know, thinking he would like it. I just wanted him, I just wanted him to be the one to say no if it happened, you know. Um, and then Eddie thing came from uh, the, the publishing company that had my publishing deal is with Riverhouse. Um, they had an employee that had used to work with um, Montgomery Gentry way back in the day and had a good relationship with Eddie. And, you know, she reached out, sent him this home, told him that Rhett and Tracy was on board and um, wanted to see if he was interested. And he, he really loved the song too. And, and he's, he was all about anything bringing back a 90s country sound. So, um, but man, it was every single one of them so nice and so so fun to be in, this, in the room with working and to get to see how they work on their level was was really really cool um and to, you know we sat around and, and told old stories and and um you know they gave me life advice i mean it was it was an experience i won't ever forget i was gonna say i mean to me that sounds like a master class in in country music i mean when you when you get down to it i mean you couldn't ask for better teachers than, than those three right there Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, man, it was it was cool, and um, I, I got to go into the studio and actually watch Rhett and uh, and Tracy actually cut their vocal on the song. Um, so that was really cool to to see how they work and how they go about doing that. So it was awesome. Well, and you know, for for you, you know, obviously getting to do things like that, getting to be around others. I mean, you know, well, I'll talk a little bit about it couple things here as we we get closer to the end but like how how have you evolved since being in nashville because i feel like with anything the more experience you get the more people you're around the the better you're able to you know hone in on your craft how have you evolved how has your sound evolved you know from those early days to now um that's a hard one uh because I feel like in ways it's evolved, but in ways it almost evolved and now it's coming back. Um, because, you know, uh, as you, when a new guy moves to town, there there's a lot of people in their ear, there's a lot of different sounds in their ear, um, and it's easy for you to start chasing things. And, I, and you know, this is an age-old age story. Um, with, with a lot of, lot of artists um, that they'll get in town and when you, right when you get to town, you're like, okay, this is me. And it's kind of song, right? As you write more, you're hearing what's hot and what people are going for and you kind of start chasing that a little bit. And then after a while you go, you know what? I'm just going to be me. And you start trying to, you, you start getting back to yourself. And, uh, and, you know, thankfully I never went way out of who I was. Some people were like, man, if I could get those days back, you know, I'm just not myself at all. That was never me. I was, you know, I never got too far um, from the sound I came in with, and we've been constantly working on my sound and, and exploring things and figuring out, uh, you know, you gotta love technology and you know sometimes things happen when you're traveling especially through kentucky i don't know where you're at now you might be in illinois i don't know uh 
Maybe <laughs> because uh, there are some dead spots. I have no I idea, honestly. <laughs> so, so things yeah. happen, and I, 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 I cannot even good. tell you where we are. <laughs> well, and yeah, you know, obviously, I, I have no idea where we're at. Well, and and that's okay because we'll we'll figure this all out. We'll 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 edit it all together. But I guess my next question is: is you know, obviously, you had. It was awesome to record with Tracy and Eddie and Brett, but and and then you know evolve your sound, but also come back to it because I do like that answer of, you know, you're still you, you're you're back to you you've been you, you've been able to stay who you are, but with that, you're now playing shows where you're kind of the lead or you're on the bill, but that's not how it all started. I, I think I read where you were literally playing the tailgate shows. For Luke Combs. So, how has that transition gone for you? Um, man, so that was that was the first really gigs I ever had um, in town when I moved here. I moved here in 2019, and then I got in the summer of 2019, and then that fall, just a couple months after, I got put on those tailgate shows, and that those were acoustic shows. Um, he was in arenas at that time. Jameson Rogers was first of three. Morgan Wallen was the opener. And Luke was the headliner. It was in arenas. And then I was playing by myself at like 530. And uh, in like a separate little room right off to the side for everybody that got there early and was, and was tailgating. Um, so super fun experience. Uh, and it was kind of getting thrown in the deep end. So I, didn't, I didn't have anybody out there with me. Uh, you know, I was riding around on bus number four uh, with some of the crew guys and uh, just made family with them. And, um, but everybody out there, they knew I was out there by myself. I was green as grass. I was like 21, 22. And, uh, and you know, Luke and, and Morgan Jameson and DJ Silver, he was out there. Um, DJ in between sets, like they were all so nice and uh and inclusive of me and you know was was really great friends out there and so that made like the transition into actual like touring shows so easy um was having great people around me and then you know I was, i'm just a student of of the game um you know and so like i i don't I mean, we have fun, but like when other people are out there performing, I'm all like goofing off in the back. Like I'm paying attention, trying to learn, um, you know, watching people and how they perform the crowd on that roller coaster of energy and trying to just pull different, um, you know, different aspects of what I like about different people and put them into my own show. And so, you know, I think if you watch us play now, you can see a lot of the influences that I got to watch live. Um, I think Cody Johnson is a huge influence on me. Um, he's one of my favorite artists of all time currently. Um, and, you know, I've got to open, um, I don't know, maybe eight or ten shows for him now. And, um, and it was, you know, I think I've learned more than anybody um, from him uh, and just the way he carries himself. And, He's just a man, and uh, so I'm just study people out there and try to bring it over um, into our set. You know, have kind of have that same energy and and uh, just take things, takeaways. You know, from each show. 
Well, I, I think that goes back to you being a good student, you know, being valedictorian. You're still putting that to, to work, even in, in your country music career. Um, <laughs> and, and with that said, yeah. because I, I don't want to leave the guys out, because you're traveling with, I think, you're, you're, most of your band, right? So what's it like having everyone there and having, yeah. having a full band? Because, yeah, you can do acoustic shows, but it's got to be a lot cooler to have all those guys around and, 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 and travel with them. Oh yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we got we got Tyler driving. <laughs> we got Kenzie right here. I think Bill's laying down and sleeping in the back. Um, but yeah, it's it's a blast, man. And uh, we have a lot of fun. We're all uh, we're all family out here. And uh, at this level, you know, when you're just starting out, you have a ton of different players. So um, you know, we've got we've got probably I don't know three three fiddle players to use, two or three drummers. Tyler's pretty consistent on guitar, but sometimes you have to give it up and, and uh, let somebody else fill in. But we've got like a whole baseball team of, of uh, players that come out and play with us. And so it's been fun and, and uh, we have a good time. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it adds so much more to the show than an acoustic show. And I love a good acoustic show, but um, you know, your average country music fan, you know, it's all about the band and uh you know it just brings another level of energy to it that you're just not it's just not possible to get acoustic well and i i feel like acoustic is always a good backup if it, if it has to happen and you know you, you talk about you know being yeah. able to have the full band what's the best part about being on a stage and playing a show these days for you man i'd say just finding finding those few people in the crowd that that you consistently see the song connect with and focusing on them and just watching you know the magic happen and the magic for me is just the words that you came up with in a writing room with a few of your friends just connect and make an impact on somebody out there in the crowd and you know on songs first song that comes to mind is Mama Ain't Jesus um you know, it, there's not a show goes by whether there's like eight people there or eight thousand. It never fails. You know, people will come up after the after the set. And be like, man, you don't know how much mom ain't Jesus man. Or you know, or you might you know you'll see people crying out there that might have just lost their mom. And it's like you see that song connect, um, and you hope that it can be a rock for them during that time. And uh, that's my favorite thing about it. I love a good high energy song, but my favorite is seeing songs like that, you know, a little deeper connect with people. So that's the best part for me. Well, and, and I'll say even even the fun songs like Five O'clock in the Country, I, I can connect to that. And and as we wrap up, you can find him yeah. find Jordan at jordanrowofficial.com on social media at Jordan Row Music. I think you teased this a little bit that obviously your goal is to go maybe a little more singles, maybe not an album. But are we going to get some more new music coming from you? Obviously, you're doing shows, but what what can people expect from you as we close out the calendar here? Um, man, I I think I, I'll be honest, and I and I honestly don't know. Um, I really I'm leaning towards not putting out anything new before the end of the year. Like I say, it can get lost in the shuffle of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and uh, you know it just with playlisting and all that kind of thing it's tough to navigate that time um so if i had to 
if I had to tell you where my head's at right now, it's just to, um, you know, finish out these shows, finish out the year strong, and then at the top of next year, um, you know, we're going to be ready to, you know, to, to press down on the gas. And, uh, and I'm, I look forward to, uh, they're planning on putting out a lot of music next year, um, consistently, consistent songs. Um, as of right now, yes, I would say those would be singles, but who knows, you know, we might do, do an EP or something. Um, but, you know, definitely can expect music early on next year. I like it. Sure. A little tease, a little, little, little like it could happen, maybe not. I, I, I like it. And Jordan, I appreciate the, you know, you know, I would say sharing a drink, but at least talking to me while you're you're traveling and uh, I'm and I, there we and, go. Uh, this Absolutely, was a blast. Man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me.